0: Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. We post a Bible study every Wednesday evening and every Sunday morning for those who want to be in God's Word, but they cannot be with us in person for one reason or another. Maybe somebody lives in this area, the Omaha area, but they have a health problem, a physical problem, a work schedule problem, and they cannot be with us in person when we meet together at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ to have our Wednesday night Bible class or Sunday morning Bible class, And but they want to be in God's Word. And then there are people who listen all across the country and literally around the world, and again, they want to be in God's Word. They want to learn more about what God's Word really teaches, but obviously, because of where they live, they cannot be with us at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ as we come together as a congregation to study God's word and worship him and bring him glory. So we're thankful to have the opportunity and the ability and the means to be able to teach God's word on such a widespread basis through the medium of the internet and by means of these podcasts. We're thankful that you're there, that you want to learn, and we're thankful that we're here and that we can help you. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, we do encourage you to come and check us out in person and study God's word with us and worship God with us on a regular basis at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. Bible, Our, our church building is located at thirty six oh six North one oh eighth Street, right here in Omaha. Thirty six oh six North one oh eighth Street. And Bible classes begin at nine thirty on Sunday morning, followed by worship at ten thirty. And then Sunday evening we come back together at six o'clock for another period of worship and Bible study. And Wednesday evenings, six thirty, each Wednesday evening and for midweek Bible classes. You're welcome to any and all of our services. We also encourage you to share these studies with everybody you can through Facebook friends, text messages, other technological means that would be available to you. And also take advantage yourself and tell everybody else to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. Click on the podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. And when you do that, you'll automatically receive our Sunday morning Bible class, Wednesday night Bible class, all of our sermons, a Monday through Friday daily radio program called Search the Scriptures, and a short Bible study, about 13, 14 minutes each day, seven days a week that we call today's Bible class. All of that will automatically go to your smart device, whether that's your phone or computer or whatever device you choose. So take advantage of that yourself and tell everybody else to as well. And again, it's always always free, always will be free. We're going to get back into our study from the gospel account of John the Apostle. And so we have come quite a ways. In fact, we're a little over halfway through this particular this particular gospel account as we've said and we've re-emphasized a number of times, John's gospel account of Jesus and his ministry upon this earth is different to a great extent than Matthew, Mark, and Luke's. Now, they're not contradictory to one another at all. It's just that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those gospel accounts are very parallel to one another. They cover pretty much the same ground, or at least a whole lot of the same ground, emphasize a whole lot of the same uh, situations and events, and John's kind of stands out. It's, it really focuses more more on Jesus's ministry, and as it has already kind of transpired to a great extent. So it doesn't cover as much ground uh, specifically as Matthew, Mark, and Luke as many particular events, but it focuses in kind of in, in in a more focused way, a more narrow way upon Jesus's ministry. Now, in chapter 13, as we pick up today. We're going to enter into one of the longest immediate contexts of Scripture in the entire Bible and especially in the New Testament. It, this particular immediate context of Scripture begins with chapter 13, goes all the way through chapter thir- uh, 17. So it's 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Quite a few chapters there, and they're all they're all focused upon the same time setting and basically the same, uh, location. We're talking about the night of Jesus's beha- betrayal. Chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, all of these all of these chapters in John's gospel account focus on the night that Jesus was betray- was betrayed by Judas, one of his apostles. Now it does not focus just upon Judas betraying Jesus, but rather it's the night that that happened. And so if you go back into John's, or rather into Matthew, Mark's, and Luke's account, you'll find that they'll focus upon, on that particular night, the institution of the Lord's Supper, and and but they they don't cover some of what Jesus tries to get across to the apostles here, in a very direct way in John's gospel account in these particular chapters. Now, chapter 13, we're going to pick up there, begin reading with verse one, and here we find Jesus. Uh, he give he he's giving the apostles a very important and valuable lesson in service and humility. Again, when I use that word humility, I think a whole lot of people shy away from that. They think of it with a negative connotation. They think humility is, is connected with humiliation, being humiliated. And the two are completely different words. You might find some root between the two of them that they would share. But humiliation is, is completely different from the, from the concept of being humble, and that would be a synonym for humility is to be humble. And so Jesus teaches the apostles on the night that he's about to be betrayed to be humble and to be humble to the point of being a servant of each other and of others. Now, ultimately, when we're following Jesus and we're striving to be a faithful, dedicated Christian, and and we're focusing on service to others by maybe teaching them the gospel, or maybe helping them in in a particular way that they have a need, or maybe praying with them and for them, maybe encouraging them. We're we're not just we're not just uh, Serving them, but we're also serving God in so doing. So Jesus, he's teaching the apostles, and the apostles now, even though they've been walking with him to this point for about three years or so, they they sure have not gotten all of what he's tried to teach them. Now they may have listened to it, but how 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 much do you remember from your school days? Now you might say, Oh, I listen I I remember a whole lot really? Do you remember what some particular teacher taught you on a particular day or during a particular week? Do you remember all of the specifics, all of the details? Well, of course not. It's a blend, isn't it? And some of that stuff kind of went over our heads. Or maybe we really took it in for the moment in time because we were studying a particular subject or maybe even a particular aspect of a subject. But then as time went on, we kind of you know forgot about a lot of that well jesus taught the apostles an incredible amount of god's word god's will we would call it scripture today to a great extent and they grasped some of it maybe even we might say a lot of it but a lot of it went over their head <laughs> a lot of it they forgot they didn't didn't really take root in their in their minds and he's going to Talk to them about that in another chapter or two. But here, beginning with chapter 13, he gives them a very important and very valuable lesson on humility and service. So beginning with verse 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And The disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, You have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. Now let's stop here and and kind of look at this in specific ways and analyze it, try to come to a deeper understanding of what has just transpired. And Jesus is about to to tell them the lesson that he was trying to get across to them. But let's look at it look at it ourselves. So we're looking at Passover, okay? Passover. Now Passover was maybe the most focused upon respected revered of all of the jewish holy days it marked the day that god delivered them from pharaoh and from their bondage in egypt so going all the way back to uh, all the way back to moses all the way back to that time they have been remembering passover every year and that was what they were supposed to do and there would be a certain meal that they would eat on Passover. They would they would dress in a certain way. They would have a certain posture, all of that reflecting back upon that time when God was going to deliver, to deliver them from Egyptian bondage and from Pharaoh's oppression. And so they were supposed to eat this meal ready to travel, <clears throat> and they were remembering it. Now, so before Passover, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, being God the Son, being all-knowing, he knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. He was going to go back to heaven, in other words. Now, but a whole lot is, is really kind of between the, the lines there when it says he knew his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. Uh, He he knew that before he would ascend back to heaven, Acts chapter 1, he would die on the cross. He would be betrayed by one of his own apostles. He would go through that torturous, barbarous execution of crucifixion on that cross. And so, He knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own, whom were in the world, he loved them to the end. And I think this is probably talking pretty specifically about the apostles. And then notice in verse 2, supper being ended, so they had had a meal together, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So Judas already had a plan laid out that he was going to or at least he had a a focus that he was going to betray Jesus and it would be that very evening the devil had worked on on Judas and Judas had succumbed to the devil's temptations and leadings Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God again indicating and identifying his divine nature. He came to this world from heaven. He was going to be here in this world in physical form for a relatively short period of time, about 33 years or so, and he was going to go back to heaven and wait with the Father until that final day of judgment when he would come back into this world to call all mankind to give account of how we've lived our lives. And at that point, God was going to bring this world, as we know it, to an end through fire, going to bring judgment upon humanity and upon this world. So verse 4 says that Jesus rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. So he takes off his outer garments, he wraps a towel around his waist, and he poured water into a basin and then began to go from apostle to apostle, this identified here in verse 5 as disciples but we know these were the 12 apostles and so he goes from apostle to apostle he washes their feet and then dries those their their feet with the towel that he had wrapped around his waist now this is a practice that we don't we don't really see today we don't employ it today because a difference in time, geographic location, and culture. You see, we're not living 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, and particularly in Palestine, where there were minimal, as far as we would compare them to our standards today, of like sidewalks, paved roads, things like that. And so people would walk across the sand, across the dirt. That would be common. It would be all around them. And they would wear mostly open, uh, open-toed, open open, you know, shoe, uh, shoe attires and so, or foot attires, you know, sandals basically is what we would understand. And so when they would travel from place to place by foot, of course, they didn't have any cars. They didn't have any bicycles, you know, or motorcycles. And so they would – when they would go from place to place – it was a custom that as they would enter into a house first they would probably take off their their sandals and then the host in the house or the person who lived in the home would often show them the courtesy of washing their feet for them and if they did not do that there would be there would be given to them the means and the opportunity to wash their own feet now jesus he remember, he's the master teacher. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior, the Messiah, prophesied in Old Testament scriptures, and yet he humbles himself. On this particular occasion, in this setting, he removes his outer garments, wraps wraps a, a towel around his waist, and then goes from apostle to apostle to apostle, all 12 of them, and washes their feet one by one. And then he dries their feet with the towel that he has wrapped around his waist. Now, when he comes to Peter, Peter, he takes exception to Jesus washing his feet. Peter looks upon Jesus, again, as the master. And, you know, the master, you're not supposed to wash my feet. If anything, I would wash your feet. And so Jesus, or rather, Peter challenges Jesus, at least questions him, you're going to wash my feet? and and then Jesus says what I'm doing right now in verse 7 you do not understand right at this moment but you will understand but then Peter he just of course Peter could be impetuous it would seem at times and he just kind of glosses over that and he says no lord you don't wash my feet and and it wasn't that Peter was was expressing some kind of offense at Jesus washing his feet he was in his mind he was humbling himself and elevating Jesus because Jesus was the master and he was the disciple. And he said, no, I'm not, you, don't, you don't wash my feet. You're not supposed to wash my feet. You're the master is what's coming across. And so then Jesus said, if I don't, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Now, Jesus was getting across in that particular statement a much deeper spiritual message to, to, to uh, Peter. But then Peter, he took that and and I guess he felt corrected. And so he tried to express his willingness now and his surrender to what Jesus wanted to do by saying, well, then don't wash just my feet, but wash my hands and my head also. And, and that was overboard. That was missing the point. Again, when... When travelers or even just people within a given community, when they go from place to place and their, their feet would get dusty because of, of the surface of the area, sand, dirt, they'd come to a place where well, their feet would need to be washed, but, but they've already, not the rest of their body, but their feet that were in contact with that dusty, dirty surface, that they would commonly walk through. And so Jesus says, when Peter says, well, don't just wash my feet then, you know, wash my hands and my head. Jesus said, you don't need your hands and your head washed. You're already, you're already bathed. You don't need your, your, your whole body washed, just your feet. You are not, but then he says in verse 11, you know, you are not all clean actually he begins that in verse 10 then he says it uh, you know again in verse 11 now he so he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet but is completely clean uh, and the idea being otherwise you're you're not a, you know all dirty it's just your feet need attention and then he says you are clean but not all of you and then in verse 11 he, you know, it's explained, you are not all clean, because he knew that in the deeper sense that he was trying to get across to Peter, back in verse 8 when he said, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me, it would be only through the blood of Christ that we could be cleansed of our sins, of that guilt that we, that we bear because of sin. And so we need that spiritual cleansing. Well, when he says, you are not all clean, or not all of you are clean, he's talking about all of the apostles. He's zeroing in, in his mind, on Judas, because Judas, he knew, would betray him. Judas already had been ungodly, at least to some extent, because previous scripture talks about how he would—he you know, was the keeper of the bag, so to speak, or a keeper of, of their funds. He was the—we would liken him to the treasurer among the apostles, and he'd been stealing money from from that treasury. And so Jesus already knew that. And so Judas already had a sin problem, even walking as a, as an apostle of Christ. Jesus further knew that he was going to betray him that very night to the Jewish authorities, and so that's what he meant when he, he's focusing on Judas, when he says, you are not all clean. In verse 12, we go on. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, in other words, put his outer garments back on and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? And remember, he told Peter when Peter first questioned him, you're going to wash my feet? And Jesus said, what I do, you do not understand right now, but you will understand. And so he asks them the probing question in verse 10. Do you know what I have done to you? Now, this is a question for all of the apostles. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. I am your teacher and Lord, in other words. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, let's understand. Is he talking about you 12 apostles, If I'm your teacher and Lord, if I'm the master, and I have washed your feet, is he saying you ought to wash your fellow apostles' feet? Is that is that the thrust of his message here? I don't believe so. I believe what he's trying to get across is you need to be humble servants, not just to each other, but on a widespread basis to whom you can serve in my name. And so <clears throat> you, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. In other words, you need to become humble servants, not just of each other but of your fellow men, and in that way you can be great examples of being my followers. Look, I've just washed your feet myself. I've humbled myself to that extent. So here is a very visual object lesson that they can relate to. In verse 15, he goes on and says, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And so he gave them the visual object lesson of being a humble servant to them. And the message is you need to become humble servants yourself. And as you serve each other, as you serve others around you who need help, who need somebody to step in at a moment in time and help them in some way, you're actually serving me. You're serving Your heavenly Father as well. We move on to verse 18. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled, he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. And Jesus is speaking in the past tense here. Judas has already laid the groundwork for Jesus to be betrayed that evening by Judas himself. Now, Again, Judas thought he did this undercover, in secret, without without Jesus knowing about it. But again, Jesus is God the Son. He knew exactly what Judas had done. Now, I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. In other words, he's saying, I'm prophesying to you. Before you even know anything about it, I'm telling you what's going to happen, and that's going to help you even more understand who I am. Truly, your Lord and Savior, the Son of God, and that'll help your faith even more. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. So, if we're following Jesus, then we're also following God, because they're a package deal. Now, if we re- if somebody receives a teacher of the gospel of Christ, they're also receiving, in a very real sense, Jesus himself, because that's his message of salvation to mankind that he brought from heaven itself. And so they would also be receiving God in the sense that they're listening, they're they're believing, and they're getting ready to follow. In verse 21, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, I don't think the apostles got that message in the previous statements that Jesus had made, just a few verses before this, but he'd actually been saying that just in more discreet terms. But now he says openly, One of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now, there were leaning on Jesus's bosom, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, and John's talking about himself in the third person here. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he, that is Jesus, spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus's breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, he identified Judas as the one who would betray him here. But the apostles did not get that. <laughs> they did not understand the fulfillment of what Jesus had just told them he would, he would do in order to identify his betrayer. So verse 27, now after the piece of bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Now he's speaking to Judas directly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he had said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money back, money box, that Jesus had said to him, uh, buy those things which we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. So the apostles Again, even though Jesus had just said, "One of you will betray me." And Peter and John talked together, and John asked Jesus, "Who is it?" And he identified him, who it would be, the one I give the bread to after I've dipped it. And he did that, and he gave it to Judas, but they, they still they did not grasp that Jesus was saying, "This is the one. Judas is going to betray me." He told Judas, "Go do what you do, what you're going to do quickly." And they thought well, he'd send him on some kind of shopping spree, perhaps <laughs> you know, buy some food that they would need for the Passover meal in verse thirty one when he had, when he had gone out, Jesus said, "Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him and he's speaking he's speaking as if in the past tense already that the crucifixion and the resurrection had already taken place. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself." And glorify him immediately little children i shall be with you a little while longer you will seek me and as i said to the jews where i am going you cannot come so now i say to you so jesus is saying of course he knows next day he's going to be on the cross he knows by the end of that day he's going to be in the tomb and he'll be there for a period of you know over three days And then he's going to be resurrected. And then he's going to go back to heaven after 40 days appearing to to hundreds and hundreds of individuals risen from the dead, physical dead. Then he's going to send back to heaven. But the apostles, they're not getting that. They're not understanding. They do not yet understand the fullness of what Jesus has been teaching them and guiding them toward for the last three years or so. So verse 34, he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also have love for one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And what an important instruction, teaching, commandment that this is. Jesus tells the apostles, you love one another And by the love that you demonstrate to one another, and we're not talking about surface-level showy love, we're talking about genuine love that is demonstrated in the way we treat each other, speak to each other, deal with each other. He said, the world is going to see that special love in your relationship, and that's going to actually influence some people to seek me, to come to me, to become my followers, Christians, So verse 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So the way we treat one another as true Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, can have a great, powerful effect on the lives and on the mindset of people who are not Christians. It can help motivate them to want to learn more about Jesus and become followers of him themselves. Verse 36, as we close this particular chapter, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? You see, they still don't understand fully. Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Because Jesus was going to die physically, and then he was going to be resurrected, and then he was going to ascend back to heaven. Again, Acts chapter 1. Now, Peter was not going to die physically for a period of time yet, but eventually he would, and Jesus is already prophesying that Peter was going to be with him in heaven ultimately after his physical death. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. And we see great dedication and commitment and love on the part of Peter for Christ. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. That last verse in chapter 13, again, what a lesson. It's easy for us to say things, to mouth words that seem to indicate great and deep dedication to God and to Christ but when the rubber meets the road so to speak those words can come up empty. Jesus knew Peter would deny him that very night three times. Jesus now Peter had just said I would I would I would lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus says, really? Before morning, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times what a blow that must have been to peter in his emotionally and psychologically and yet jesus knew exactly what would happen and it happened exactly that way now peter did not stay in denial of jesus obviously he repented of that and became a mighty gospel preacher a writer of scripture and a leader within the Lord's church in Jerusalem. But he had his moments of weakness, moments from which he needed to repent and seek God's forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son into this world to pay the price for the guilt of our sins on that cross. Thank you for demonstrating your authority and power behind everything he taught and identified himself as being by resurrecting him from the dead, physically. And thank you, Father, for blessing us with his gospel message of salvation, with the church that he established upon this earth, with Christianity, Father. And thank you for the New Testament Scriptures. Help us to hold them dear, to study them deeply and continually and to live by their teachings. To your glory, Father. Please forgive us. Hear a prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.